Remember during impeachment when Republican senators said that President Trump really cared about taking a stand against corruption? The lead starts right now. Breaking today, a pardon and clemency spree. President Trump gives a get-out-of-jail-free card to the man who tried to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat. Oh, and he pardoned a former NYPD commissioner charged with tax fraud and lying to the White House. The swamp is sure getting crowded today. Ticket to Vegas. Mike Bloomberg makes it onto the next debate stage and surges in a new national poll all the way up to second place. But it's Bernie Sanders, the frontrunner, who is pulling away. And a judge says she will sentence Trump pal and former advisor Roger Stone on Thursday as the president flips out over the case, threatening to sue everyone all over the place. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin today with breaking news after weeks of House and Senate Republicans claiming during the impeachment trial that President Trump cares gravely about battling corruption. President Trump this afternoon officially forgave crimes committed by powerful men who abused their office for personal gains, a continuation of the president's post-acquittal campaign of punishing his enemies and rewarding his friends. It's a world in which prosecutors are often seen as the bad guys and criminals the good guys. The president announced this afternoon he's commuting the sentence of former Illinois Democratic Governor Rod Blagojevich, a one-time contestant on President Trump's TV show Celebrity Apprentice. Blagojevich was convicted of campaign fraud. He was trying to sell an open Senate seat, or as the governor so eloquently put it in one caught on tape moment. I've got this thing and it's golden and I'm just not giving it up for nothing. President Trump also pardoning former New York Police Commissioner Bernard Carrick, who was convicted of tax fraud and lying to officials, abusing his office by allowing a company that wanted to do, to do business with New York City to renovate his apartment, a gift that Carrick accepted and hid. These were just two from a list of seven pardons and four commutations that President Trump announced today, with observers wondering what these actions to benefit these two well-connected, powerful men who abused their positions might mean when it comes to possible similar actions for felonious Trump aides such as Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn and, of course, Roger Stone. As CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports, President Trump is making these moves despite sharp warnings from some Republicans and just two days before friend and confidence Stone is to be sentenced. Before heading west today, President Trump pardoned several white-collar criminals and commuted the former governor of Illinois' prison sentence. Yes, uh, we have commuted the sentence of Rod Blagojevich. Rod Blagojevich was serving 14 years after he was convicted of essentially trying to sell President Barack Obama's open Senate seat for personal gain. Governor. He once appeared on The Apprentice, but was fired by Trump on the show. But Rod, you're fired. Though, lately, Trump has paid attention to efforts by his family to get him out of prison. Well, I know the president's got a lot on his hands. I watched his wife on television. Uh, I don't know him very well. Trump came close to commuting Blagojevich's sentence last summer, before being talked out of it by Illinois Republicans who warned him about the blowback he'd face for intervening in what many saw as the pay-to-play scheme he campaigned against. It was a prosecution by... The same people, Comey, Fitzpatrick, the same group. 
Today, the president also pardoned former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, who was found guilty of eight felonies, including tax fraud and lying to White House officials. Yes, I just pardoned Bernie Carrick, uh, a man who's had many recommendations from a lot of good people. The president has also watched Carrick on Fox News, where he appeared last night. Carrick was also heavily involved in the case of Eddie Gallagher, the Navy SEAL accused of war crimes whom Trump also recently cleared. This was a retaliatory measure by the admiral, an admiral that has overseen this entire corrupt, unethical and criminal investigation and should be booted from the Navy SEALs. Trump didn't stop there. He also pardoned the former owner of the San Francisco 49ers, Eddie DeBartolo, who was found guilty of attempting to conceal an extortion attempt, and Michael Milken, the 1980s investment banker known as the junk bonds king, who has sought to wipe clean his securities fraud conviction for decades. He paid a big price, paid a very tough price, but he's done an incredible job. Despite all of that, the president wouldn't say if he's considering leniency for his longtime friend Roger Stone, who is set to be sentenced in just two days. I haven't given it any thought. Sources say that's not true, and that Trump has weighed pardoning Stone in recent weeks as Stone's allies have lobbied the president to do so. I'm actually, I guess, the chief law enforcement officer of the country. Now, Jake, in total today, the president issued seven pardons, four commutations. He only mentioned the most prominent of the white-collar criminals on that list, but there were several others as well. Only two of those were related to drug offenses, and one had to do with a stolen car ring. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House for us. Thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss is Congressman David Cicilline. He's a Democrat from Rhode Island. He serves on the House Judiciary uh, Committee. Congressman, thanks for joining us. So let me just start. Is the president's commutation and pardoning of Rod Bolgojevich, Bernie Carrick, Michael Milken, those three, uh, inappropriate in your view? Of course it is. Look, this is the president who claimed that he was genuinely concerned about corruption, and that's why he was attempting to persuade or extort the new president to launch a bogus investigation against his chief political rival. Most presidents have used restraint in using the pardon power. The president of the United States is now pardoning people who have power, who have abused their positions for financial gain. And, you know, everyone in this country is entitled to equal justice under the law. You get the sense from President Trump that, that his friends and cronies uh, are entitled to one set of rules and everyone else is uh, in, required to follow a different set of rules. And I think this is a setup for consideration of, pe- of pardons for Paul Manafort, for Roger Stone, for Michael Flynn. He's trying to create a lot of noise. He's doing a lot of pardons and clemencies. And when mm-hmm. he said, oh, I haven't even thought about Roger Stone, that's laughable. So let me just ask you, these, these are not the first controversial pardons and commutations um, would you, I, know you're, I don't even know where you were in 2000, but uh, would you have an issue with the pardon of Mark Rich that President Clinton uh, granted, uh, despite the fact that a lot of people thought he shouldn't have done that? And do you think in general, uh, maybe there should be a rethinking of the pardon power for the president, not just this president, but any well, president? Well, well, I think past presidents have used restraint. I certainly haven't agreed with every pardon that was issued of any of the past presidents. But there's an office of the pardon attorney. There's a process that you go through. But what I think is happening here is the president is issuing pardons, again, to people who have abused their positions of trust, 
uh, public corruption cases, and it's undermining confidence that people have in the way our government is supposed to work. You know, he, he keeps saying, oh, Roger Stone's been treated very unfairly. You know who's been treated very unfairly? Kevin Bailey, who spent 28 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, who was recently freed by the Innocence Project. Those are people who are treated unfairly. But the idea of using the pardon power to take care of friends or to begin to set the stage so you can provide pardons or clemency to your close associates is very dangerous. And I think what the president is doing Mm. is issuing these pardons on the eve of Roger Stone's sentencing so that he can now consider pardoning him, pardoning Paul Manafort, mm-hmm. pardoning Michael Lynn. That's particularly dangerous and different. When you're pardoning people who are close associates, who have engaged in activities and have been the subject of investigations that involve the president, a pardon in that context is very, very different. Take a listen to something President Trump said this afternoon about his involvement with Justice Department matters, including the Roger Stone case. And just so you understand... I chose not to be involved. I'm allowed to be totally involved. I'm actually, I guess, the chief law enforcement officer of the country. But I've chosen not to be involved. Is he wrong about his authority? Yes, he's wrong. He is not the chief law enforcement officer of the country. He's the president of the United States. We have a Justice Department that in normal times would be led by an attorney general who, in fact, is the chief law enforcement official in this country. They don't work for the president. They work for the American people. They are responsible to uphold the law and the Constitution and the rule of law. And it is unprecedented and improper for the president of the United States to meddle in, in, interfere in any way in individual cases, sentencing recommendations. Over 2,000 former officials of the Department of Justice have condemned it and called on the attorney general to resign. But no, the president does not have the right to meddle in the individual cases in the Justice Department. Our whole system is premised on the notion of blind justice. Mm -hmm. Lady justice is blind. It doesn't matter who you are. You're entitled to equal justice under the law. Not friends of the presidents don't get one set of treatment and people don't know the president get a different kind of treatment. That's not the way the justice system is supposed to work. Congressman Democrats impeached the president. It failed in the Senate. Frankly, he seems more emboldened than ever. What options do you and other House Democrats have to check uh, the president's power? I mean, we will, of course, uh, I expect to have hearings on uh, on this. There's a process that the president is expected to follow in granting pardons or granting clemency. We'll try to bring attention to this issue on behalf of the American people. We'll continue to do oversight. But this is the danger when you have a president who is engaged in grave misconduct and in face of overwhelming evidence to that, The Republicans in the Senate refused to convict the president. And so he does, in fact, feel like he can do anything he wants and he's not accountable. That's the message the Senate sent him. And when Senator Collins said, oh, I think the president learned a lesson, he did learn a lesson. And the lesson is he can do whatever he wants. We cannot allow a president to continue to behave this way. The House will continue to to conduct our oversight responsibilities, bring attention to this. But ultimately, the American people are going to have to decide in November, do we want to countenance Four more years of this conduct of a president who thinks he's above the law, who thinks he can corrupt an American presidential election, corrupt the Department of Justice, Mm -hmm. meddle in uh, their administration of justice. And that's ultimately going to be decided by the voters in November. Congressman David Cicilline, Democrat of Rhode Island, thank you so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Coming up, Celebrity Apprentice is not the only thing President Trump and Rod Blagojevich have in common. That's next then. It's the same place used to deal with the Ebola virus in the U.S. Now 13 Americans are calling it home. We'll take you inside the Coronavirus Containment Center. Stay with us. 
Welcome back with the breaking news. If you think that President Trump's announcement this afternoon came out of nowhere, that he's pardoning former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick and commuting the sentence of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, just go back through Fox News archives to see where the president may have gotten the idea. Carrick appeared just last night on the president's favorite channel, and Blagojevich's wife Patty has been making pleas for her husband on Fox multiple times, which the president said... He watched our, cha- our uh, panels here to chew over this. And just take a, take a listen. Here is Rod Blagojevich's wife, Patty, on Fox. Is there any sure. update? Do you think that you're getting anywhere with your request to have him pardoned by the president? Well, I know the president's got a lot on his hands, that's for sure. I mean, all you have to do is look at yeah, your, your um, show tonight. But, you know, when he mentioned um, uh, my husband last May, it did give us a tremendous amount of hope. So, I mean, this does seem to be the way to get a pardon is to get uh, friendly Fox hosts to take on your cause and you just appear on the channel until the president tweets it and then orders it. I think the other way to get a pardon is to have a pending sentencing or jail, possible jail term for someone who might have a lot of information on the president, who's an acquaintance of the president, who's involved in the president's campaign. Who hasn't flipped. Roger Stone, right, and who's, who's sentencing is Thursday, right, who hasn't flipped. And you want to remind Roger Stone, you probably want to remind Paul Manafort, who is having a tough time, presumably, and having actually been in jail now for a bit, that, you know, hang in there, hang in there. I know the, I use the pardon power. And guess what? Maybe I won't use it until November 4th, the day after Election Day, but he certainly will use it then, and he's signaling that. And, Matty, if you look at the list of crimes these guys are accused of, fraud, lying to yeah. officials, corruption, uh, they're very similar to what we've seen from President Trump's associates and friends. And this is, who Trump, this is who Trump is. And, you know, he said, I'm going to drain the swamp. And you just look at the three most high-profile ones today. You've got Kerrick, the former police chief, tax fraud, I think he was convicted for. You've got Michael Milken, former investment banker, securities fraud. And you've got, of course, Rod Blagojevich, who tried to sell a Senate seat. So this is Donald Trump, champion of blue-collar working people, scourge of corruption. But, you know, this is how he, he said today, I don't think Blagojevich did anything that other politicians would do. He said in the past, this classic Trumpian projection. It's like he thinks of a bad thing and he goes, well, everyone does it. He said he's a, today, I think he said he seems like a very nice guy. Just to be clear, Rob Blagojevich didn't just try and sell Obama's Senate seat. He withheld government funding for a children's hospital, Jake, for a children's hospital until he got a campaign contribution in yeah, return. So commuting, so commuting his sentence is very on brand for Trump, if you think about it. And for Trump, it's like there's Obama, there's Jim Comey's FBI, there's the wife on Fox News. He was on Celebrity Apprentice. It's like a perfect Trumpian storm. Um, and, and Shan, you've worked with the Office of the Pardon Attorney. To be clear, you were out of the loop, mm-hmm. perhaps intentionally so, on the Mark Rich pardon, which I talked about earlier. Uh, what would be Attorney General Barr's involvement in, in all of this? Uh, theoretically, he was he, he was part of the discussions. Uh, well, we don't know that. But right. normally, the pardon attorney does a pretty extensive background investigation. They're going to talk to prosecutors. They're going to get recommendations. And commutation, very different than pardon. Commutation is reducing the length of the sentence. They normally look at things like age, illness, things like that. Uh, in this instance, I mean, the pardon attorney's office seems to be sort of an extinct animal. I don't know what kind of input... They have, but notably, there is a question, which is, where is Barr on this issue? I mean, with Milken, for example, another one part of those issues today, Trump is again undermining the prosecution, saying this was kind of a novel idea. I mean, insider trading is not a novel prosecution idea, and he's putting down the prosecution. Where is Barr to stand up for the fact that, hey, 
we stand behind our prosecutions. And, and well, he's been bad-mouthing prosecutors for quite some time now, the president. Uh, and, and Neil Lake, five Republicans from the Illinois congressional delegation issued a statement, a joint statement, saying they're disappointed with the decision to commute Blagojevich's sentence. Uh, Democratic Senator Blagojevich, uh, uh, Durbin said that Blagojevich, uh, a fellow Democrat, betrayed the people of Illinois, should be held accountable. There is some bipartisan unity there. I guess my real question about... Are those five Republicans from the Illinois congressional delegation going to do anything about it? Probably not. I mean, from what we've seen <laughs> from Republicans uh, so far, I mean, I think you could argue that they gave the president a uh, license to essentially do what he wanted to do uh, because of what happened uh, previously in his administration. Obviously, the uh, impeachment comes uh, foremost to mind. So, no, I mean, I think they'll be concerned, but that, that's about it. Listen, I think what we might be talking about months from now might not necessarily be these uh, commutations and pardons, uh, but the commutations of average people, right? And this is something that I think would, would get bipartisan support and certainly some support among uh, progressives. Uh, there are two people on the li- this list, Tynese Nicole Hall and Crystal Munoz, uh, women who were caught up in, in the drug trade, uh, served uh, multiple years uh, in prison, and whose sentences have been commuted. We've seen the president uh, make the argument that he's on the side of criminal justice reform in a way that Democrats it's haven't com- been. We clear. saw the Alice Marie Johnson uh, ad, for instance, and I imagine that yeah. we can see uh, some of these folks on this list, particularly these two women, used in the same way yeah. uh, that Donald Trump is used. Well, that, that is not not an example no, of criminal. Because okay. if you look at the numbers, uh, Barack Obama, I think, uh, commuted or pardoned, went through the process of nearly 4,000 people. Uh, in his first three years, Trump has, I think, done 200, of which 24 people prior to today have got pardons, of which only five were ordinary people. The other 19 were connected to the White House or the Trump campaign. He has the lowest record when it comes to pardons and commutations. And, sh- and Shan, because I knew we're, we're losing you after this block, uh, Trump said Blagojevich was convicted for being stupid. Um, I recall the, the case, and it was a lot more than that. Oh, yeah. And also, stupid's not normally a factor that the pardon attorney takes into consideration. <laughs> That's usually part of the criminal justice system. I'm, the problem here is that... In terms of the integrity of the system, public confidence in it, it's completely gone because there's no system at all. I mean, he just chooses whoever he wants to choose. It tends to be whoever has his attention at the moment. And if you want people to respect the power of the executive, you have to make them feel like he's actually looking at the merits of the case, not just whatever happens to catch his attention that night on Fox. And whether or not, and whether and, not they're his friends. And people right. who he can put in TV ads. As you say, that's a very, think about that for a minute. You're pardoning people so you can make, make appeals to certain communities. And fundraising. Communities, they put it in the fundraising. certain communities in an election campaign. And it's not entirely stupid as a pure political matter. Oh, he has some sympathy for us. You might shave your, your negative margins in the African-American or Hispanic communities, yeah. but it's a heck of a reason to... Yeah. Everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. Ignoring the noise. The judge in the Roger Stone case making a big announcement. That's next. And we're back with the politics lead. Amid these pardons and commutations from President Trump, his longtime advisor, Roger Stone, will be sentenced Thursday by Judge Amy Berman Jackson for his crimes, despite all the legal drama, running commentary and attempted interference from President Trump. The president today backed Stone's request for a new trial based on anti-Trump social media posts from the jury forewoman. Judge Jackson says she will consider that separately. But Trump's continued tweeting about the matter puts him directly at odds with his own attorney general, as CNN's Sarah Murray explains. A federal judge says Roger Stone will face sentencing as planned on Thursday, despite objections from Stone's attorneys. In a roughly 15-minute conference call with Stone's attorneys and federal prosecutors today, Judge Amy Berman Jackson did not address any of the controversy erupting in the background of Stone's case. Major breaking story that's unfolding right now. All four federal prosecutors 
have now resigned. Four prosecutors quit Stone's case after Justice Department leadership intervened to rescind and lower prosecutors' original sentencing recommendation of seven to nine years for Stone. And President Trump has suggested the judge is biased. Today, Trump took Stone's side again. I think it was a very, very rough thing that happened to Roger Stone. And appearing to quote a Fox News contributor, Trump tweeted, Judge Jackson now has a request for a new trial based on the unambiguous and self-outed bias of the foreperson of the jury. And adding, pretty obvious, he should get a new trial. I think almost any judge in the country would order a new trial. I'm not so sure about Judge Jackson. I don't know. Stone's request for a new trial, alleging juror misconduct, has been opposed by the Justice Department. Jackson said she will consider whether Stone, Trump's longtime friend and political advisor, should get a new trial on a separate timeline from his sentencing. In the meantime, any punishment she hands down will be postponed. I can understand that if there's any aspect of the sentence that the defendant believes he shouldn't have to serve, that he doesn't want to start serving it while this motion is pending, Jackson said. Even if Stone is sentenced to prison time, it's possible Trump could relieve him with a pardon. Are you planning to pardon Roger Stone? I haven't given it any thought. In the meantime, he's going through a process, but I think he's been treated very unfairly. Today, Trump insisted he hasn't intervened in Stone's case, though he insists he's allowed to do so, and lavished praise on Attorney General William Barr. The Attorney General is a man with incredible integrity. Now, just so you understand, I chose not to be involved. I'm allowed to be totally involved. Now, some judges appear to be alarmed by the president and the attorney general appearing to be willing to intervene in politically sensitive cases. The executive committee for a federal judges group is set to hold an emergency meeting via conference call on this issue tomorrow. All right, Sarah Murray, thanks so much. Facing new attacks from his Democratic opponents, Michael Bloomberg gets ready to face them on stage for the very first time. An inside look at his strategy next. We're going to win this election not because we are buying the airwaves, as Mr. Bloomberg is. We're going to win this election because we are putting together the strongest grassroots movement that this country has ever seen. Democratic frontrunner Senator Bernie Sanders this afternoon calling out former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg by name, the latest salvo between the two who top a brand new Marist national poll of the Democratic field. Sanders at 31 percent. Bloomberg in second place at 19. That poll opens the door for Bloomberg to participate in tomorrow night's Democratic debate in Nevada. The first time Bloomberg will face direct attacks from his rivals, which he will get. This afternoon, Senator Warren tweeted, quote, It's a shame Mike Bloomberg can buy his way into the debate, but at least now primary voters curious about how each candidate will take on Donald Trump can get a live demonstration how, of how we each take on an egomaniac billionaire. Ouch. As CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports from Las Vegas, Bloomberg expects much more incoming. We are a democracy, not an oligarchy. You're not going to buy this election. Bernie Sanders is laying out the welcome mat for Michael Bloomberg's debate debut. We say to Mr. Bloomberg, you are certainly not going to win when you have a record in New York City that included racist policies like stop and frisk. Sanders is establishing himself as the candidate to beat in the Democratic primary fight, taking a commanding lead over Bloomberg in a new national poll, with longtime frontrunner Joe Biden falling behind. And they're trying to figure out all kinds of ways how do we stop Bernie and the movement. 
but they are not going to succeed. Bloomberg will get his first face-to-face opportunity on Wednesday after qualifying to join his Democratic rivals on stage for the first time. The former New York City mayor, who's spending more than $400 million on ads alone in hopes of making a Super Tuesday splash, has already been tangling with Sanders. His campaign using an online video to accuse Sanders of failing to control the vitriol from some of his supporters. Still, Bloomberg enters the debate with a giant target on his back. He's been holding mock debate sessions, preparing to defend a controversial stop-and-frisk policing policy allegations of sexism in his business, and other parts of his long record in public life. His Democratic challengers have been waiting for this moment. We're asking people to choose between a revolution and a billionaire who thinks that you can just, you can just buy your way onto television and win that way. Hoping to win over Democratic primary voters, Bloomberg is turning to yet another TV ad, presenting himself as a partner to former President Barack Obama, one of the most revered figures in the party. He's been a leader throughout the country for the past 12 years. Mr. Michael Bloomberg is here. Now, all of this is happening as Democrats here in Nevada, Jake, are scrambling to prepare for those caucuses on Saturday. Early voting ends tonight. There have been some issues with early voting across the state, but Democrats here are trying to avoid a meltdown of the Iowa caucus situation. One challenge here, melding the early vote with the actual in-person caucus vote on Saturday. Campaigns are still wondering how that will work. All right, Jeff Zeleny, thanks so much. Uh, Reporting there from uh, Las Vegas. Um, Starting with Senator Bernie Sanders, let's take a look at this poll. He is a commanding lead in this new Marist PBS NPR poll of the Democratic field. 31% support. Bloomberg second place. Yeah. 19%. Biden 15%. Warren 12%. Klobuchar 9%. Buttigieg at 8%. I mean, this is just one poll. But, you know, after the popular vote win in Iowa, winning in New Hampshire, he's got more money. He's got more organization. He's ahead in all these national polls. Bernie Sanders is a Democratic frontrunner. He is, and he's going into Nevada uh, strong. It's a caucus uh, state. He did very well uh, last go-round. There'll be about 19% uh, Latinos there. He's strong with Latinos uh, as well. If you see in this national poll, he's doing well with African Americans, too. He's essentially tied with Biden among African Americans. So you have Sanders, uh, who's really been able to, in some ways, consolidate the progressive wing. Warren has faded a bit. We'll see what she does on the debate uh, stage. Uh, Biden, same thing, faded a bit on the debate stage, and or faded more generally in this race. And Bloomberg has has really, I think, uh, taken a bite out of Biden uh, in terms of these moderate voters, in terms of conservative voters as well. He's in everybody's living rooms all the time uh, with these ads. I sort of joked at some point uh, that I've never seen so many African-Americans on political ads uh, mm. as I have with these Michael Bloomberg ads. Uh, he's uh, he's on all of the channels that African-Americans watch, including CNN, uh, uh, television stations like OWN. Uh, so he's been able to, I think, connect with African-Americans. American voters so far in a way that I think is a bit surprising given his background. Uh, So I think he'll probably have a target on his back uh, tomorrow as well in this debate. And Aisha, one of the things that people need to understand is the Nevada caucus is Saturday, Mm. um, then South Carolina primary the following Saturday, and then it's just a national campaign. Three Super Tuesdays in, in a row in which you need money and organization. Sanders has it. Bloomberg has it. Yeah. Does anyone else? 
Well, I mean, that's that's the that's the thing right now. And I think you're going to see that in the debate tomorrow night where you're going to see someone to try to to really this could be the last stand for some of these candidates who are trying to show that they belong in this race. Uh, Biden is not going to want to get a really bad showing in Nevada. And then South Carolina really is his last stand. Right. Like he's going to need to show himself. You're going to have Warren. Uh, they're going to be trying to to make sure that this doesn't become a Bloomberg Sanders race. And at this point, you do see the progressive wing really lining up behind Sanders mostly. And then you kind of have this split with Bloomberg and Biden and all these others and the and Klobuchar and Buttigieg. And so the question is, like, does this end up being something where that ultimately just ends up helping Sanders because you have the rest of the vote split. And if you have people staying in, it could be like what happened in 2016 with Trump, where you had all of these others right. who didn't uh, who didn't consolidate and it helped Trump. And Maddie, one of the one of the ways that Sanders is really going after Bloomberg is about uh, these entitlement programs or social safety yep. net programs. Bloomberg says he wants to expand Medicare, create a government backed savings plan to help people save for retirement. But Sanders is pointing out that Bloomberg in 2012 supported cutting these safety net programs. Take a listen is a ways to slowly decrease the benefits or raise the eligibility age for Medicare and for Social Security. There's a ways to have more copay on Medicaid, which will do two things. One, the users of the service will pay a little more, but two, they'll be they'll think twice before they use services. I mean, Bloomberg has a long record of calling for entitlement cuts under Obama. He said Obama didn't go far enough. Uh, he was a Republican for many, many years until 2018. It's not surprising that he supports austerity and cuts to these programs. And it, the Bernie Sanders campaign used that attack line very well against Joe Biden yeah. uh, pre the last two primaries. So I don't see obviously they're going to use it again against Bloomberg. He's even worse than Biden on all of these issues. I think the poll that you've referred is very important. I mean, Bernie Sanders a year ago was being written off by everyone. He's now the clear, undisputed frontrunner. Not by everyone. Not by everyone, Jake. I think you... <laughs> I you, call them a frontrunner. You, right and then. you and I had discussions on the show many a time. But in general, if you go back and read what people were saying, they thought he was finished. It was going to be Warren on the left. Biden had it locked up. All wrong. 31% in an eight-way race is pretty astonishing, no matter what you think of him. Just on Bloomberg very quickly, a lot of people are... You know, a friend of mine, her mother said, you know, I like Bloomberg. And when she was asked why, because of all those ads with him and Obama, <laughs> which are so disingenuous, because, of course, he didn't endorse Obama in 2008. He only reluctantly endorsed Obama in 2012. And in 2016, he blamed Obama for racial division in the country after Trump was elected. Yeah. So these ads are shameless, but they are working because he's Bill, got so many of Bill them. Crystal, there are a lot of uh, homeless Republicans like you who, who like the idea of Bloomberg. Because he's a Republican. <laughs> President Obama endorsed him. I saw that on that ad. That was very, you kind of buried the lead, I think. I mean, there you have a clip of President Obama praising his 12 years as mayor. But you can believe Mehdi if you want instead of President Obama. You know, that would, that's what I would say on behalf of Mayor Bloomberg. <laughs> All right, everyone stick around. An inside look at the special biocontainment center. 13 Americans are calling home right now for the next few weeks because of the coronavirus. Stay with us. The health lead now, a special biocontainment center used during the Ebola outbreak, has now been reactivated for 13 Americans with the coronavirus. I'm sorry, coronavirus. All of them were evacuated off a cruise ship in Japan to U.S. soil and moved to the specialized facility in Omaha, Nebraska. CNN's Nick Watt has a look inside now as the experts try to keep the virus from further spreading. For 13 Americans evacuated from the Diamond Princess cruise ship, this is home. For at least the next two weeks, there's a TV, Wi-Fi, expert care, but no clothes, no toothbrush, no brush, no nothing. 
She's in the quarantine unit right now, but Jerry Cerati Goldman's husband, Carl, has tested positive for novel coronavirus and is in the biocontainment unit. We spoke to him on the phone. Sounds upbeat. He's being treated by nurses and a doctor, all wearing hazmat suits. We feel like we are a resource and um, doing something for the national good. So these are U.S. citizens. They need to come home. We want to make sure that's done safely. Three Ebola patients were treated here in 2014. The unit is designed and staffed for victims of a bioterror attack or hazardous communicable diseases like this one. Although in the United States right now, the risk is minimal. This day, it's minimal. Mm. But if it turns into a global pandemic, we could have a significant problem. Earlier this month, researchers found other coronaviruses can survive outside the body on glass, metal or plastic for up to nine days if the surface hasn't been disinfected. China's central bank is now even deep cleaning or destroying potentially infected cash. Chinese authorities have also now calculated this coronavirus's death rate at 2.3% among those infected, and that may fall. Right now, it's higher than influenza, which hovers around 0.1%, but a lot lower than previous viral outbreaks. SARS had a 9.6% death rate, and MERS a staggering 35%. Now, there are another 92 Americans right now on board another cruise ship that's docked in Cambodia. And we know that a woman who left that ship has since tested positive for the virus. So the concern is, did she infect any other passengers before she went? Jake. All right, Nick Watt, thank you so much. Appreciate it. How confidential conversations between a therapist and a patient are now being used by the Trump administration to keep undocumented kids behind bars. That story next. International lead, he ran for his life and he's been in U.S. detention ever since. His imprisonment extended because after he spoke confidentially, or so he thought, with a therapist, notes from the sessions were passed on to immigration officials and used against him. In a new report by the Washington Post, 17-year-old Kevin Yuseta fled and was seeking asylum after MS-13 gang members in Honduras ordered him to kill a stranger. Now, while in U.S. detention, he spoke openly with a mental health expert about his trauma, and now that's even adding further to his trauma. Hannah Dreyer of The Washington Post broke the story. She's with us now. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. So you write that this kind of information sharing is, is legal, technically, but considered by experts to be unethical. And it is the Trump administration that changed these rules so these confidential notes can be used against the, the patients in court? That's right. So children who come to this country have always been required to see therapists at least once a week. And that was for their own good because these kids are coming up with severe trauma. And what's changed under the Trump administration is that now whenever a kid talks about gang involvement, drug dealing, any sort of criminal activity in those therapy sessions, which they're told are confidential, the therapist has to report that within four hours. Even if, even if they're forced into gang activity or drug? or Any kind of gang activity, without exception. So let's talk about uh, Kevin and, and what he told the therapist and what the report said in court. Uh, he told the therapist about being abandoned by his parents and raised by his alcoholic grandmother. He explained that after his grandmother died, the gang MS-13 took over their shack, 
With nowhere else to go to, he stayed, even as gang members tortured rivals on his patio. The gang eventually put him to work selling drugs. And then the report that was used in immigration court says, Youth reports history of physical abuse, neglect, and gang affiliation in country of origin. Unaccompanied child self-disclosed selling drugs. Unaccompanied child reports being part of witnessing torturing and killing, including dismemberment of body parts. So just they're taking his trauma and using it against him. I mean, they're taking things that he told a therapist in confidence after she said, this is confidential. And yeah, using it in open court. And one thing that's important to know is that thousands of kids are forcibly recruited into gangs in Central America. That's a major reason that those kids come up and ask for asylum. In Kevin's case, one part of the federal government has actually certified him as a victim of severe human trafficking. So he's a victim of trafficking for part of the government. Which, which part of the government says that? This is the Department of Health and Human Services. So HHS says he's a, he's a victim of human trafficking. What's the other department? And then ICE says that doesn't matter. He sold drugs for this gang. He's dangerous and he needs to be deported. He sold drugs in Honduras. Exactly. Which they only know because he told the therapist that he did that. That's right. That's right. And he found out that ICE knew that he had sold drugs in Honduras at his first court date when he showed up and ICE filed the notes that a therapist had written with the judge. So that's the only evidence against him is what he confessed to in private therapy. That's the prime evidence against him. And, and uh, I mean, and, and ICE certainly must understand that a lot of the kids who come here are forced to do these things. The criminal activity that they're part of, they were forced to do or else they'd be killed. Well, so ICE says if the shelters where migrant children are held are handing over these notes... They have to use them in open court. If a kid discloses that he sold drugs, even if he was forced to sell drugs, from ICE's perspective, if they have those notes, they have to use them. So, But ICE is the one demanding the notes. Well, it's the shelters who have decided, the okay. Office of Refugee Resettlement, which okay. oversees these shelters, that has agreed to start sharing these notes with ICE. Okay. So it used to be that a kid would say something in therapy that might be shared within this child welfare agency that oversees shelters. But now, if a kid says something in therapy, it's passed over to ICE. Some shelter therapists are now keeping two sets of clinical uh, notes, uh, you report, or, or leaving things out. What happened to the therapist that Kevin spoke with? The therapist that Kevin spoke with said that she had no idea that her report might be passed all the way to ICE and used in, in court. And she actually resigned after the story. She ran. quit. It's a horrible story. Thank you so much. I mean, it's a very well-written story, but it's just, a, it's just heartbreaking that this is happening. Thank you so much, Anna Dreyer. Really appreciate it. It's a big week on CNN. Tonight is part one of our live Nevada Town Hall. CNN is talking to Democratic presidential candidates Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, Pete Buttigieg, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. Thursday night, we're going to talk to former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. It all starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, both nights. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.